Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Jack. I'm an alcoholic and an addict in recovery. Um, just uh, give a point of reference on my sobriety. On March 22nd, I had three years of sobriety. So that kind of um, three-year mark, I think, I obviously every time around this time of year, I reflect on where I'm at for the, well, the last uh, three years because of um, that's, you know, where, where my the, the last straw was that got me to go into uh, um, first detox and then uh, rehab, inpatient rehab. And, you know, the, the, the thing I will say about um, the recovery community, um, whether it's uh, Tusnua or uh, my home group, which is Westside Agnostics out of Cleveland. Um, but in some ways I feel like this is a, you know, a home group also to me. And there's a meeting I, I get involved with that, that's on at, at 1 a.m. local Cleveland time. Uh, when I work night shift, I log in. So in some ways, depending where I'm at, they're, they're all kind of home groups to me. And, um, and I say that because I, I find that, you know, the more I put into my recovery, the more I get back. Um, some of it's just straight service work. I, I do the Tuesday, 6 p.m. Uh, Westside Agnostics meeting. I, I secretary chair, you know, people have different terms for it. Um, and I've been doing that for <clears throat> almost uh, June will be a year. Really like doing that. Um, and it's theme, general theme is Positive Tuesday. And I say that because that is probably one of the primary reasons um, I maintain my sobriety as the positives that have come about there, you know, it doesn't mean, uh, you know, like the, the promises say there's the, um, you know, you won't regret the past, but you won't close the door on it either. Um, I, I really cannot believe I still astounded at how much better life is without drinking and drugs. Um, and those days leading up to finally, you know, saying I need to get get real help and, and go somewhere. Um, I didn't think that was a possible. I mean, my existence at that point was um, waking up in the morning. Um, I, I still made it to work. Most of it. generally when I didn't make it to work, it was when I didn't have access to drugs and alcohol. It was when I was on the either either the withdrawals or the, or the, 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 pre, the, the depression that comes after, um, you know, doing it. It was those days when I just couldn't, I was filled with shame and guilt and just anxiety and all, all the emotions that just were in some ways paralyzing. Um, and I only way, the only way I knew to get rid of those was to, you know, get a drink uh, or hustle up some, uh, Pills. My addiction was primarily opiates in the pill form uh, and alcohol. They went together. Um, I used them together whenever I could. If I didn't have one and I had the other, it was like, you know, skipping with one leg. Like it just didn't, they, they, I needed them together. That's how they work. Um, doesn't mean I didn't use them independent of each other, but the whole time I was thinking about the, uh, the other thing. Um, and 
you know, I just didn't realize that life could could um, could exist without that. Um, so, you know, walking this back, I guess, so leading up into that day, I had close to 20 years of what I would say um, was active addiction to the, the opiates and then also um, drinking. Now that, that, you know, that came in waves of intensity, but I will say the last three years, it was pretty much, um, I, I think I had, I had come to the conclusion that I, I was powerless over it. Um, although I was still going to work, I had a house, my kids were fine. That was all because of my wife maintaining that household. Um, I had, for the most part, had just, you know, checked out. So I, I realized that, but I didn't know anything about AA or recovery. So I didn't know the first step. I think I knew AA was the initials of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I didn't know anything about it. So, you know, after coming to the program, I realized I'm like, oh yeah, you, you admitted to yourself, but you just didn't know what to do about it or how to fix it, or if you really wanted to. Um, and, you know, the 20 years leading up to, to those days were, um, I would say sometimes were fun, you know, maybe when um, all the circumstances were right in the beginning and I would be going to an American football game, one of our, our local teams here in Cleveland, we had season tickets and it would be, uh, you know, a Sunday morning, which they people do to tailgating and you know, I knew I could drink as much as I wanted in front of my wife because that's what we were doing. You know, I didn't have to hide it, but I also made sure I had a you know a few pills stashed in my pocket to to make the day great. And a lot of times those um, were fun, and that's kind of where the claws got hooked into me um, of always going after that that what I called fun, um, and it didn't exist anymore towards the end. It was far and few between that I was enjoying myself because even when it was a social occasion, um, I wasn't drinking enough. It was constantly on my mind that I owe somebody money. Okay. I have these, uh, these, uh, drugs for right now, but what am I going to do about tomorrow? You know, so it wasn't, it wasn't fun. It was always, you know, what's happening tomorrow, what's happening in a week. Um, and, and it was a, a miserable existence. Um, you know, but I, I think one of the things that led me into um, addiction, I, I don't know that I had any significant trauma in my life that I was escaping from. I do realize that I, I whether it's genetics, predisposition, um, I just like basically getting drunk and high. Like I enjoyed it. There was a lot of, when I was younger, it was, um, the drinking was certainly an acceptable part of growing up. Uh, my father and grandfather were both uh, steel workers here in Cleveland, and I idolized them as a young kid. And they worked hard, they drank hard, they told stories about, you know, back in the army and this and drinking and all the fun they had. And it sort of was like, once you get to 15, 16 years old, it's, it's kind of accepted that, you know, as a, as a young man, that's when you start, you know, having a few drinks and you're not going to really get in trouble for it. Now that doesn't mean I could sit down in the living room and drink right in front of my father, but you know, I, I don't want to, I would say that when I came home drunk a few times in high school, 
that he noticed I was drinking. I, he probably in some parts of him was a little bit proud, you know, that, that I was, I was growing up. Um, and so there was never a, a, um, it was never taboo to be, to be drinking as a young person and even dabbling in drugs. My parents were, um, my mother and father got divorced when I was uh, 13, but they were young. They, they graduated from high school, 1969. So they were children of the sixties. Um, you know, now I'm 52 and my father's 73 and my mother's 71. So those age, you know, you realize how, you know, the older you get, the kind of in weird way you're closer in age. Um, so they were young people raising children, you know, and I would, you know, the math, you know, I was five or six years old. My mother and father were 25, 26. And I look at 25 and 26 year olds right now. And I, I, I feel like they're still kids in my mind. Um, like I really like, wow, they're, they're, they're that's so young to be starting a family. And so I, I guess I've come to the, uh, some of the resentments that maybe I had at my parents that never caused the drinking, but maybe it was just an underlying festering thing for me. Um, I cut them, I cut them a break now. I'm like, they were just kids raising kids. They didn't know anything. They didn't, they didn't know shit. Um, you know, and I started a family young too. Uh, my wife and I started, my son was born when I was 21 and all of my kids were born before my three children were born before I was 26. They're all grown adults. And I, I think that kind of leads into a little bit of where um, my, my addiction really gained traction. So in my early thirties, you know, my son's 12 years old, you know, my other daughters, uh, they're two years apart, basically. So eight and 10, you know, the kids at that age can be pretty self-reliant and there wasn't so much of the needing to be attentive all the time. My wife and I both work. So there was times, you know, they, they didn't need me to be on top of everything. And I think it's kind of opened the door to, well, I can, I can drink a little more. And I got the you know, I started coming in to, to uh, getting some of the uh, the pills, which I never got through an injury or surgery of my own. It was um, actually my own father. He sort of went, got away from the drinking, but picked up the, uh, the opiate addiction, which was raging in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, he had some knee injuries and stuff, and, and he was getting giant bottles of them. And I would come home tired from working. Uh, it was a different not at this location. I was at a different company at that time, you know, working hard and tired and here, son, a couple of these pills for the weekend will make your back feel better. And, and I immediately loved them. And then once I realized, once I had the fear of drinking and using them at the same time was gone and I realized that they potentiated each other, it was on. Um, that's how I always wanted to, you know, drink was under the influence of pills. And I wanted to use the pills. It was under the influence of alcohol. They, they went together. Um, so yeah, so my, my children getting a little bit older and, and being self-reliant um, allowed me some freedoms to not have to be home right after work. Um, I could start maybe chasing a source of, um, of pills. You know, I didn't always continuously get them from my father because like anybody that's addicted to him, he would run out before the prescription would get refilled and we were both looking for him. 
Um, and you know, you, you kind of put the word out to people uh, that you're, you're a buyer and lo and behold, there's people willing to sell, um, not typical drug dealers. They could be, uh, you know, I call them a lot of them grandmas, you know, older folks that needed a few extra bucks and they were real willing to sell, sell some of theirs. And I think for the 20 years that I was actively seeking and using them, uh, I probably already always had about five or six people that I could rotate between. Some would go over the 20 years and some new people would come, but there was always a, a, a a group that I had in my phone that, you know, if this person doesn't have them, maybe I'll hit them up. Maybe this person was always friendly for me to give me some on loan. And um, yeah, so even when I didn't have them uh, readily available and it would go a week or two, I couldn't get anything. I was still an addict. I was more than willing to take them if they were given to me or, or, or I had the means to buy them. So yeah, I, I may have got through some of the physical dependence over that time, but I always made up for it by just drinking extra, you know, I drinking still never left. And um, then at work, the, the job I had at that time, I was in charge of uh, um, the maintenance department of a manufacturing facility. And it's uh, was one of those things where I had the ability to come and go to the facility as I pleased. There was always a, some part or so that I had to go to a machine shop to get machined, or I had to go to an electrical supplier to pick up electrical supplies. So the ability to run around on company time and, and manage my addiction, one more thing that made it uh, feasible, um, you know, kids, kids growing up didn't have to be home at a certain time. Um, work, you know, taking advantage of my work situations. And then certainly at that job, I took advantage of the resources um, because I'm a skilled tradesman and electrician. I can do HVAC work. I often would do side work while on my company's time, you know, say I have to go somewhere and I would go work on somebody else and I would make that cash, keep it quiet from my wife. And that's how I fed my addiction. Um, there were certainly um, unethical things I did. I had a good group of guys in my department. And I took advantage of that, uh, often borrowed money. You know, I, I made more money than most of the guys in my department, yet I found myself borrowing money from them um, to, you know, cause somebody would text me and say that, you know, the, 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 I got a script in, do you want to come get it? Uh, I don't have any money. Hey, you know, go to my buddy and say, Hey man, can you spot me a hundred bucks uh, till Friday or whatever? And so I, I took advantage of a lot of that and other white collar, some similar things, uh, padding mileage reports so I could get money from the company and my wife never knew about it. So, yeah, so, I mean, I guess that's kind of a drunk log, but that's, that's where I was at. And, and it just made it easy to keep that addiction going. Um, but all the while the shame and the guilt were piling on or building up. Um, and, at the, you know, again, the last three years, at least maybe even five, um, I, I really was checked out of my personal and work life. My work was certainly suffering. Um, there, there was a uh, incident six months before I got sober where I had been drinking pretty regularly before work. Um, 
and and it wasn't just a little bit. I I was it was my routine to stop at a gas station on the way to work at five thirty in the morning. Usually a different one because I didn't want this the the same person knowing I was coming every day. So I had like three or four I would rotate between and get a you know a cheap bottle of vodka and start sipping on that and then um, either taking the pills if I had them or trying to source them. Uh, go into work, do some basic tasks to make an appearance and uh, make sure everything, all the guys in the department were taking care of what they need to take care of. And then I would come up with a reason to, to bug out. Um, and that started to be noticed a little bit. Um, and somebody brought to the human resource department that they thought maybe I was drinking and it was a Monday morning. And so the, uh, the HR guy came up, called me and said, Hey man, somebody thinks you've been drinking. It was a, it was a, a Monday. And so he took me over to a clinic that was around the corner and and I blew a 0.23 at eight o'clock in the morning. So what they did is they said, okay, you know, obviously you can't drive home. Um, we're going to figure out what we're going to do about this. And I came up with the excuse that it was Sunday and I had a few drinks and it carried over to late at night. And I probably, you know, it was from the night before, but it wasn't. And uh, the HR guy, when I came, took a day off and came back and he said, okay, we're going to make you go to some sort of meeting once a week and this is my first touch of any kind of recovery program and i didn't know you know okay once a week i gotta go now i realize that that was literally nothing <laughs> once a week and i wasn't active i wasn't willing to to listen anymore so i found a, a traditional meeting and uh went to it and um they even let me go during work they're like hey if you want to go do these meetings at work go ahead so i you know, great. Sounds good to me. So I went to the meeting and it was a big book meeting and, you know, saw this damn thing that looked like a freaking Bible handed to me. And I was like, what the hell is this? Um, and at the end of the month, I turned in my little sheet. The work made me get signed. And the HR guy goes, man, you're really doing that? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I did. Because I wasn't serious that you had to actually do that. He goes, I just had to do something. You know, cause again, I had been with the company 20 years. I was a manager, you know, he was, he thought he was doing good by me. You know, he was more of the person that said something was a rat than I was, a, you know, I was a bad guy and he never drug tested me. And I found out later that this HR guy was pro marijuana and he was like, yeah, man, he goes, you know, shit happens. And, you know, so once I found out that they really weren't holding me to it, I still kind of went to meetings, but I almost immediately went back to drinking. And I don't think I ever really stopped the pill, even though I kind of stopped drinking for that month. I was still using pills or, or some, maybe it wasn't even opiates. If I could get myself on Xanax or whatever, I was taking anything to get myself out of my mind that didn't include alcohol. Um, but once I realized they weren't serious, I was off and I was at back. I would go to, I would go to meetings drunk and high, you know, I just had to go and do it. And, and it was traditional AA. So the, uh, uh, we get to around November and some of the guys in production uh, knew I wasn't supposed to be drinking, but they're like, ah, come on. We, we had a holiday party at a bowling alley and guys were like, you know, you want to have a little sip? And they had some booze in their car and we drank and then they pulled out some Coke. And I hadn't done cocaine since maybe once in high school or after high school. Well, you know, the pills were getting harder to get. 
I had a ready source of one of the guys in the production department at work for Coke. So boom, I was off with the Coke and the pills. And, you know, that really led me to the next three or four months of just going off the rails. Um, you know, it was kind of that, that period is a real blur. And then leading into going into detox was, uh, you know, finally I just had, I had to do something. I knew I wasn't going to exist. Um, but wow. So, you know, that, that's, that's the, the misery of addiction. Um, you know, in, in my teens and early twenties, certainly alcohol was, uh, you know, the, the, the typical saying of social lubricant. It's not easy to see on zoom, but I'm a short guy. I'm only about five foot four. Um, that's in my shoes, no shoes. I'm about five foot three. So, um, when you're a kid, you know, you get bullied and picked on, but I, I still played sports. I got really into skateboarding in high school. So I skated quite, quite a bit. Um, and the alcohol really even that out, like all of a sudden, if you're a drinker or partier, it didn't matter really what you look like or, or, um, you know, how you acted. We, the group of friends I had still hung out with since, since childhood, we all were coming together, coming up together and as the drinking and, and, uh, you know, it just, just, you know, all of a sudden it's like, wow, that, that just evens everything out. You know, it, you, now you're a funny guy. Now you can drink more. Now you can, um, whatever. And, um, you know, along with that came, came girls, you know, the, the party, I guess the party lifestyle. And that time was, is, it was fun. And now when I have, when I romanticize the alcohol, um, it's not the feeling of being drunk, but it's the social side of it. And what I found, and I've, I've said this in shares before, is it's not that I um, am longing for the drink, but I think I realize I'm longing for my youth. And that was a big part of being young and having fun was, was as I'm getting older, maybe it's some, uh, you know, mortality sinking in midlife crisis. I don't know, whatever, but it's, I realized when I romanticize the alcohol, it's actually romanticizing that time in my life. Um, because I, I have alcohol in my home. My wife still, she's not an alcoholic. She can have a drink and, uh, with some of her friends from work and it means nothing. And then not drink for a month. You know, it, it, I don't, I don't look at that and, and go, Oh, I wish I could have a drink. Um, but I will tell you this, the, 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 the opiate addiction is a different kind of struggle. That is a very isolating addiction. You do it a lot by yourself. Um, you, you, you know, when you're under alcohol, influence of alcohol, you do stupid things under the influence. I found that for the opiates, I did stupid things to get them. So it's kind of when you're sober, you do this or you're out of them is when you do the stupid shit. Um, so the cravings for the opiates is certainly the feeling. And that's something I got to really watch. It's, it's two different uh, battles and they don't happen at the same time. There'll be something on a television show or I'll be somewhere where the social aspect of alcohol kind of hits me and it's like, oh, I kind of miss that. But then there'll also be times when I will sit there and think, man, I'm going to the movies to watch a movie and it would be great to just pop a couple of pills before I go. And I have to, that's the battle with those um, really different struggles. Uh, but, you know, AA recovery 
absolutely keeps me sober. The, um, the service work, the connection through the group chats, um, although I don't, I'm not always heavily active in them, uh, the chats, I think the fact that I know they're there is such a rewarding uh, safety net. Um, and I've used them in, in my first year or so, uh, especially when we went to Zoom, I had just about one year of sobriety uh, right as a pandemic hit. So I have one year of in-person uh, secular AA meetings. Um, again, the, my home group, Westside Agnostics, was an in-person meeting. And we switched to Zoom uh, once everything went into lockdown. So there was already you know group text that I got involved with pretty quickly. And that that is something that um, really works for me in different ways. I'm, I'm not a big call a sponsor. Um, matter of fact, my sponsor, um, if some of you know him, uh, Tracy, if, you know, he's probably like, Jack's probably called me six times in the three years, but I text, you know, that's more of what works for me. And, and that goes along with, um, you know, the, the, the secular AA uh, community is that everybody's sobriety is different. And who am I to judge how you get there? I've never, I've never officially done the steps. Um, I like the steps, you know, um, first three steps. I never had to do them because I, when I came in willingly at going to rehab, I, yeah, yeah. Whatever help you can give me and however I get it, it's not going to be God, but I accept help, you know, and yeah, I, I'm unmanageable. Um, you know, a lot of times when I share, I share, you know, things I've done in the past. And, you know, that's me given of my fifth step inventory. Uh, I like the 10th step, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's the most important thing each day to think about what I did. Do I need to apologize to somebody? Could I do something better? Um, and all of that leads to emotional sobriety. And, and that's the biggest thing is keeping myself emotionally sober. Um, even outside of AA, I think people are calling it emotional intellect or emotional maturity. Um, it's all the same thing. And that's just how, how to handle um, stressful situations and not causing, having those stressful situations turn you to think that drinking or drugging is the, the best possible solution. Um, and that's where, that's where I'm at with it, is that uh, I'm at the point of staying sober is um, the, the gift of the, of the program. Um, I've moved past the getting sober. I hopefully, hopefully I don't have to come back and get sober again. Um, that's, you know, I, I always, they're, they're kind of like, um, little mind games. You know, if I, if I say, uh, I'll never relapse, I'm jinxing it, you know? And if I say, well, you never know, I'm going to relapse. And that means I'm opening myself up to it. I don't know. This is mind games I play, but that's just something I think all of us in some ways do do those things with ourselves. So, um, yeah, I, you know, the, the root of it was I, I like to get high. Um, my brain is wired that way. And then I use situations in my life as uh, an excuse to do it to excess to the point that I needed it um, physically. And I needed it in a way that was. Um, I knew no other way out.
So I, th- I think I've kind of gone on long enough. I mean, geez, I just looked at the clock. That was a quick 30 minutes. So uh, anyways, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks everybody for being there. You know, peace out.